Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, may we be encouraged to run the race of faith today. No matter where we're at, Father, I just pray that you would give us an extra, an extra kick, an extra energy, uh, a, a, a more breath in you to continue to run the race with endurance today. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to uh, have it enacted today, engaged today. Lord, that we would follow after what your word says and, and not what we want or what our desires are. For, Lord, may our desire be to please you and to obey you today. For we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're only going to be taking the first three verses because they're so jam-packed with stuff. Now, back on April the 15th, 2013, a tra tragic event happened that changed the lives of several hundred people that were in attendance that day. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a big event that happened in Boston, and it changed the city of Boston forever. You guys remember the event? Yeah, there was a marathon bombing, that's right. That claimed the lives of three spectators and injured over 260 others. And that traumatic event caused several people to lose limbs. A couple lost their legs. And these were runners who were used to running in the marathon because of the explosion. After several years and, and, and not months, but years of physical therapy and training, and, and the help of artificial limbs and stuff, some of them decided to go back a few years ago. And they had a kind of a, a, a reunion of sorts. Of those who decided that that bombing and that event, what, even though it changed their life, wasn't going to change their resolve. That they were runners. And that something that was meant for evil was going to turn around and be transformed into good. And at the anniversary of the bombing, they stood together, pressing together at the front of the line, not at the rear, as a sign to the world that we are not defeated. And some of them had to learn how to do the basic things all over again, too. This was not an easy event for them. Some of them had to learn how to stand up on their own, how to walk, how to dance, and ultimately here at this event to run. Some victims have vowed to run again in this historic marathon, and there are many stories about their harrowing experiences to get back on, back on those streets and run that race again. When we're faced with obstacles in our life, instead of allowing this event or this obstacle to paralyze you, do you stand up? Do you walk? Do you dance? Do you run? Or do you sit on the sidelines saying, I will never try again. The same message in the writer of Hebrews is given to us today. He's encouraging us that endure, to endure when discouraging times in our life comes, come about. The author writes to the Jewish believers that, of Jesus Christ during a time when they struggled. They were under persecution. People were coming after them. We just read about that in, in chapter 11. How how the way the world was coming against them. 
during a time when there was tension and difficulty in the world as they embraced their new Christian faith. But we talked about those who went through the same and similar circumstances as we talked about the heroes of the faith, did we not? How they went through persecution, how they went through, are you kidding me? I mean, I don't want to go through the whole list again, but the one that just comes to mind as, as probably the biggest one, for me anyway, is Noah. What are you building in your backyard, Noah? There's no ocean for miles. Ain't no water for miles. What is this monstrosity you're building in your field out back? Can you imagine the ridicule? Can you imagine all the people coming by? They probably made it like Disneyland, people coming by charging admission just to watch the stupidity of a farmer. He wasn't even a boat maker. Wasn't a, a, a boat designer or an engineer. Who knows if this thing's going to float or not? Especially with every animal in the world in there, except for the unicorn they missed out. I heard they were playing around is what I heard. But their faith continued. They continued to obey God and to do the things that God wanted to do. By their faith, there was a testimony. And here the writer is going to also use uh, an event of running, a, 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 an idea of a metaphor of an athletic competition to run the race with endurance that is set before us. In fact, let's read verses 1 to 3 so we can get a context as we continue. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. The idea of a Christian race, the idea of a marathon, if you will, is to run with endurance. I'll talk about this a little bit later, but there, I was a runner in junior high, believe it or not. While one guy was running with one or two steps, it took me five Little legs. But I was the third fastest guy in the whole school, believe it or not. And I remember one of the coaches, he told me, we're going to put you in a long distance. We're going to put you in the 440. And I'm like, what's, what's a 440? He says, well, it's eight times around the track. I'm like, eight times? <laughs> what happened to the 35-yard sprint? That I could do, you know? So he put me in the 440. And he says, about the fourth time around, you're going to hit what's called the wall. And then at that point, you're going to have to control your breathing and your pace because your body wants to stop. Your body needs air, and it ain't getting enough. So you're going to have to control how you breathe, knowing that whatever your breathing is, is enough. Don't let your mind trick you. I said, all right. And he says, remember your technique. You know, hold your hands a certain way and you know, count if you need to, whatever. So I was running, sure enough, we're in a race, and I was like in sixth place. There was only eight guys running. 
came around the fourth time, and it's like you, it is, like you hit a wall. Boom, and all of a sudden, my lungs felt like they were going to come out of my chest. You know, I'm like, ah, you know. And, I, and he said, don't listen to that. Keep breathing. Keep, okay, so I did, and I counted. And this was after, um, was it uh, Chariots of Fire came out? <laughs> so I had to visualize. Yeah. So I had to visualize, and then I remember, I remember the story. You know, I was a good Catholic boy at this time, so I, you know, so I believed in God and all. Didn't have a relationship, but I believed in him. And, and I remember the story and how uh, the guy would just, he would let his head go back because he was worshiping God in his running, right? So I just let my head just kind of go limp. And, but I kept, my, I kept running. Passed up the number six guy, or the number five guy. Breathing. <laughs> Passed up the number four guy. Hugging the line, you know? Passed up the number three guy. I couldn't get to the first guy because he was a whole other laughing head of me. <laughs> I got second place. I was like, yes! And then I fell down and everything cramped up after that. Even my brain cramped up. It was so... But to run the race with endurance, to break through the wall of resistance in our faith, because we have walls of resistance in our faith and we begin to Believe the resistance and not our training. We have so great a cloud of witnesses. People have run this race ahead of you. And they are cheering you on from the stands of heaven. They're yelling out your name. Keep going. Keep going. You're going to hit a wall where you're going to think, God, where are you? God, what's happening? Why is this happening to me? But others have gone through the same thing. And it's a continuation of faith in God. In the history of faith. And you're a part of that. Do you understand that? Do you understand? Okay. We are in a great saga called the kingdom of God. You know why there's so many books in heaven? Yeah, your story is in a book in heaven. No, there's a bunch of books. It says, if you read it, it says plural books. The books, are being brought, the books will be brought out. And they're the books of your deeds, good and evil. But then there's a little book. Thank God for that book. Because my big book of good and evil deeds don't, I think the, I don't, I don't know if the good outweighs the bad, you know. I had a life. So, but then that little book has my name written on it because it's the Lamb's Book of Life. And that book trumps the other books. Yeah. But there are books, and they're your story. You're a part of the epic of God. You know, you're the part of the, the big, you know, what are, they, what are they up to, Fast and Furious 29 now? I mean, it's like, <laughs> how, many, how many movies can you have? I mean, yeah, they're on walkers. They're like, they're driving the old people's bus, you know, like, ah! <laughs> that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Oh. 
But in the same way, we're in, this, we're in this, this epic of God and we all have our part to play and we all have a story in the story. And that's what this great cloud of witnesses is trying to get us to understand. Their story was also part of a big story. Adam and Eve were the beginning of the story. Because of them, it continues on. And we have Noah and his story. And it continues on. And we have Abraham and his story. And we have Gideon. And we have David. And we have Jesus. And we have the apostles. And we have you. You're all a part of the story. How is your faith being written about? Now, you can go back to the old people like we talked last week. And you can be like Gideon. Angel comes up to Gideon. Do you know where, the, where he found Gideon? I'm just going to paraphrase the story because lack of time. But Gideon's in a vat. He's in a big brown vat. He's hiding. And he's hiding from the Midianites who are taking over the land. The enemy. And the angel comes up to him, finds him in the vat, hiding, cowering. It says, mighty man of valor. He turned into to De Niro. You talking to me? Are you talking? He says, yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Great man of God. Me? Are you with the Midianites? What's going on here? Am I being punked? Are there video cameras? God sees in you who you will become. In fact, he sees in you who he's created you to be. Not who you think you are, but who God made you. Because when you believe in Jesus, you were what? What is the big term? that Jesus said to Nicodemus that you had to be? Born again. So your first birth, which has your name on it, mine was named Ernest, gravely serious. That's what my parents call me. But when I got born again, I have a new name, which I don't know what it is yet. All I know, it's not gravely serious. Yeah, no suggestions, no. Yeah, I'm sure. Another reason for <laughs> But God, Jesus says I have, he has a stone that has my true name on it, the name that I was. Some people have, had gotten their name ahead of time, like Peter. Right? He was called Simon. Jesus changed his name. Like Saul of Tarsus, Jesus changed his name. Gave him the name ahead of time. Here's your real name. This is, this is who you were before, but this is who you are going to be. And God has a name for you. To give you hope. To give you strength. To help you in your faith. Now when we when we face the same kinds of challenges that the people before, the heroes of the faith in chapter 11 have hit, how do we react? Do we, do we 
press on through faith? Do we believe like Abraham and Sarah? Do we believe that whatever God said about us will happen, will occur, and we'll live life according to that, not according to our age? When the promise came to Abraham, he was already past childbearing years, as well as Sarah. But yet when the angel came and, and talked to Sarah, said, oh, by next year, you're going to have a kid, she chuckled. The reason she chuckled was because she was already post-marriage. Yeah, she was already post-menopausal, plus she was barren all the time before that. So there wasn't any choice on, on that. And they didn't have fertility clinics or anything like that. That was God's business. And she got confronted in her non-belief by the angel. And then she switched the story. Oh, I kind of believe. I just was laughing. <laughs> A year later to the day, nine months to the day, she was holding a child in her arms. We have to understand when God promises something, it's going to happen. Otherwise, you would have no hope sitting here today. Otherwise, why Jesus? Did you know Jesus is God's promise for us to forever be with him? Jesus is the promise of God. He is the fulfillment of God so that you could live in paradise. It's the promise. Jesus is the promise of salvation. Jesus is the promise of your righteousness. Jesus is the promise of your faith. Why? Because we'll get to it, but he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. But first, we need to understand that we have this, these witnesses cheering us on. I don't know if you've ever been cheered on. Something happens to you when you're being cheered on. Anybody been in sports? Anybody here? A few of you? You ever been cheered on? Right? It's even better when you're cheered on by strangers. It's even better when the other team <laughs> is cheering you on. Now, I wasn't in a team sport. I was in a single sport. I played tennis in high school. Okay? I was playing this one guy. And it was, it was the, I was in the semifinal round. If I beat this guy, I get to the finals. And this guy was a winner. He was known to win. He finds ways to win. I don't care how good you are, he's going to beat you. So my dad took me aside and said, gave me, gave me an idea on how to beat this guy. So I'm starting to play, and I was already down. Uh, I was already down. We played three sets. I was already down the first set. I was halfway through the second set and I was down. And so my dad said, okay, you only got, you know, you're already down, and you need to come back. And so this is what you need to do. And he said, just start attacking the net. Don't try to out-volley him. Out-play him, you know, baseline to baseline, because he'll beat you. He, he's like a backboard. Everything comes back. It may not come back strong, but it comes back. And so you need to start attacking the net. It will fluster him. He won't know what to do with that. I'm like, really? He says, yeah, okay. So I obeyed my father. And I went and I started attacking the net. And I started winning. I won that set. And then I demolished him in the, in the, in the set. He never recovered from that. Because 
That's not how he played. Halfway through the third set, he started praising me. He started saying, dude, you changed your game. You're kicking my butt. I'm like, you're right. Why don't you charge the net and see what you get? I'm just kidding. Back then, we were taught that if someone charged the net, you hit them with the ball. You look a little confused about that, so, okay. Anyway, point is that when we obey the Father, He gives us insight on how to break through the enemy, how to win that battle by faith. Not on our own doing, but on His Word. He says, therefore also we will face different times of trials. So with that, what do we do? Well, he gives us an idea here. He says, first of all, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us get rid of our distractions. What is it that ensnares you? What is it that causes you to stumble? What is it that you are bringing in? What baggage are you bringing into the race? <coughs> when I was playing tennis, there was, there was a couple of things that you tried to get as far as equipment. The lightest tennis racket you could get and the lightest shoes you could find. And the lightest shoes back in those days, were, they, were they were called betas. They looked really weird. Some of you may know what they look like, but on the sole, the sole kind of was a wavy sole, but, and the top was this mesh kind of a stuff, really lightweight, and they were lighter than any other tennis shoe. Now, tennis shoes have leather and stuff like that. They, got, they stayed away from all the leather and stuff. The only thing is they didn't last very long because they were so lightweight, but they were great on the court. I mean, you could stop on a dime and turn and all this other stuff. And, and so you wore lightweight stuff. Can you imagine putting on chain mail and putting on, uh, you know, English armor and going out and saying, okay, it's time to play tennis. And playing tennis with a, with, a, with, a, with a steel racket that is actually made out of real steel, not aluminum. You'd lose every time. The ball would be flying past you every because you don't have time to react. Too. Some of us are walking around with full-on armor from our past, not discarding it and able to run the race. And we wonder why we stumble. And we wonder why we fall. And we wonder why, why isn't God helping us? And God's like, I would love to help you. Take that armor off and put my armor on. What is God's armor? The helmet of salvation. The blessed breastplate of righteousness. The, the, yeah, the shield of faith. The sword of the Spirit. Girded with truth. And then the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says, put on that armor and you'll be able to endure. You'll be able to run fast and quick and long. But you've got to get rid of your armor. Your armor is stopping you. Now, I don't know what your armor is. It's kind of like sometimes we, we wear this armor and we put this stuff on and these sins and these habits that keep on us are contrary to our walk with God or contrary to faith. It's like, I don't know if you ever ran a three-legged race with someone who didn't want to be a, a participant? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, if they don't want, if they just stand in there and you're just like, you're trying to drag an entire person with you. You're not going to win the race. You're probably not even going to finish. And you may not even get off the finish line. Or the starting line, that is. We need to get rid of those things that cause us to sin, that easily ensnare us. We have to discard the distractions. And some, one big distraction I think that we may all have is that we believe in God's Word. We believe that it can change things, it can do stuff. We truly believe in that. But we don't live it out. That's the hard part. Having integrity in our faith. You know, do we do that? Do we say, yes, I believe in God's word. I believe God says that, you know, I should love my enemies. And then you don't like your neighbor. Or people that come against you. Or people that think or believe differently than you. And you don't love them. You accuse them. You judge them. How is that living out your faith? How is that living out the truth? I'm sorry, it's not. So if, if you're truly grabbing hold of the truth of God in his word, we have to live it out for it to be active, for it to work, if you will, for it to, for it to change things, change the atmosphere, change our future. We have to lay aside every weight, it says. Whatever it is that's hindering you, whatever it is that's distracting you from truly giving yourself totally to God, you need to get rid of. It could be a mindset. I was, I was talking to a, a parishioner, and I was saying, you know, it's great that you come to these events and stuff like that, but I sure would love to see you on Sunday morning. He's like, well, Sundays are a little bit more difficult. I'm like, why? I mean, you get up for your job like 6 o'clock every morning. How's Sunday hard? Well, you know, it's, I spend time with my daughter. Well, I do this and that. And I'm like, okay, bring your daughter to church. Spend time with her here. Because you need to grow in your faith. You need, to, you need to be around others. You need to be a part of what church is about. You know? I don't know if you noticed this. Let me ask you this question. Do you think, do you think Jesus needed church? Huh? Did he need church? Yes? It's not a trick question. He needed what? He needed the people. He needed fellowship. He chose, well, that's not my question. My question was, did he need church? No, thank you. He didn't need it. He was the son of God. He had fellowship with God. Ultimately, church is about getting us to be in fellowship with God. Ultimately, that's what it's supposed to. Our focus is on glorifying him together, all right? Secondary purpose is to be fellowship with one another. That's why Jesus was at synagogue every Saturday. Read the scriptures. There was very few times he was not either in the synagogue or at the temple. He needed, no, I don't think he did it. He was being an example 
of what it means to be in fellowship with God and with man. Church is about... And if Jesus, the head of the church, is the example of that, what excuse do we have not showing up at church? I'm telling you, when the 49ers are playing on a morning game, I don't want to be here. My flesh. Wow. Jimbo, can you take care of that? I'm just warming up, warming up. I'm warming up to September. Seriously, my flesh wants to watch the game. Thank God for TiVo. But, you know, back before TiVo, it was tough. Because then I couldn't see the, I couldn't see half the games. Okay? But yet, my calling was to follow Jesus' example because the Word says so. So what's more important? There's no argument here. Because if you're saying, no, that's my team and I need to, you're wrong. Because ain't nowhere in here does it say football comes first. But that is an encumbrance. That was a weight. <laughs> God's so smart. He knows that that's an important thing in my life, that a hobby. So he makes me a pastor. <laughs> Guess what you're doing on Sunday? No! And Sunday mornings. We're going to be changing the time for the church. <laughs> Maybe I should become a Seventh-day Adventist for you on Saturday. So, now understand this about the race. Okay, let's go back to the, let's go back. When it comes to removing the things that are keeping us down, we still then have to do the second part. After we remove the encumbrances and we lay aside every weight, it says that we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. When I had to run that 440, I didn't want to run the 440. The coach put me in the 440. I had two choices. Run the race or quit the team. Because if I didn't run that race, unless I was injured, which I was not, I was off the team. You don't do that. You don't say no to the coach. And so in the same way, God puts a race before us. And all of our races will be different. And he puts that race before us, and we have a choice to make. Yes, I will run it. One thing you need to understand, one example that we need to really know here, is the number one thing is it won't be a race that you trained for. Some of us are in a circumstance right now. We're in a life, we're in a life situation. We're going through some stuff that we have not been trained to go through. But God has chosen you to go through it. By faith, you need to believe in His choice for you and not your preparation for where you're at. Because if you were prepared for what He had for you ahead of time, you probably wouldn't do it by faith. You would do it by obedience or by your own knowledge or whatever, and then guess what? You wouldn't get God's outcome. 
Noah was not a boat builder, but that boat survived to this day. It's still up on Mount Ararat. It's there. If we ever have another flood, that'd be the boat to be in. Gideon wasn't a warrior. He was threshing the wheat. God made him a warrior. David wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherd boy. I don't know about you, but sheep aren't that dangerous. And yet he would go out and slew tens of thousands. He's a little guy like me. That's God. That's God. That's faith. He wasn't prepared. What he did as a hobby, you know, like Luke in Star Wars. Yeah, this is just like shooting wombats out on the plains when he did the thing to go into the hole into the Death Star and blow it all up. You know. He wasn't trained to kill Goliath, but God used what he knew to kill Goliath. But it was by faith that he walked out there. It was by faith in God and that he was mocking his God. Because of that, he went out there and said, today, God will give you into my hands. Man, talk about grit. It may be a race you don't want to face. I had never hit the wall before in my running career. I hit it that day. And I've had it a lot of times since. And that training has helped me to continue to run the race. For some of you, you're already in the race and you don't even know it. And you're running this thing and you're wondering, what the hey? But keep running. By faith, God is with you. He hasn't left or forsaken you. And there's going to be a point when you hit the wall of your faith versus your physical being or your mental, or your emotional, even your spiritual, where you're going to have to step out by faith. You're going to have to say, thy will be done, not mine. And you're going to have to step out in God's will. The choice is yours. The choice is always ours to give up or to continue on. And finally, it says that we need to, what? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Focus on the finisher of your faith. Who is it that is going to tell you, enter into my rest, good and faithful servant? God's going to do that. Why? Because we are believers in his son and we walked with his son, and we obeyed his son. And he says, if you love me, Jesus said, if you obey me, it's like obeying the Father. It's one and the same. And so we need to focus on him. He is the author of your faith. He's the one that saved you, and he's the one that's going to bring you through to the end. God has a purpose for you. Jesus has a will for you. But you've got to put down your own will. Jesus had to. Oh, Lord, if it be any way possible, 
for this cup to pass from me. Garden of Gethsemane. Didn't want to do it. Didn't want to go through it. But then he said, but not my will. Thy will be done. Can we say that? Or does God's will have to line up with our will? Oh, it's only good when God's will and my will are in sync. Sorry, that's not faith. That's saying that God is your servant, and he is not. He is your God, and you are his servant. Let's get this right. Don't be an uppity slave. You're a bondservant of the Most High God. You're his. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. So quit doing the things that please you and do the things that please God. That's the important part. And the cool thing about that is when we're pleasing to the master and the master's pleased with us, everything's cool. Everything is given to you. Jesus said, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. But you've got to be in line with God. He is our hope. He is our inspiration. He is our example. He is our author. He's the originator. He is the creator. Jesus gave birth to our race. And we're running it. And he himself is cheering you on. I love what he told Peter. I'll close with this. I love what he told Peter. When Peter, <laughs> when Peter said, I will not deny you. He says, oh, Peter, let me just tell you straight up. You're going to deny me. But after you deny me, be strong for your brothers. For I have prayed for you. What? The Son of God has prayed for him. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen to Peter? It's going to happen. And, and he became what? That's right. He became the number one apostle. He became, obviously, the first pope, for those in those, that belief system. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that he became the rock. What does Peter mean? Petros, the rock. He became what Jesus named him a year earlier. That same Jesus says that he never leave you or forsake you. He is with you always. Do you think Jesus is praying to the Father for you? You know he is. Extra, extra more for me. He's also the finisher of our faith. And I hope you get that. Because as a finisher of our faith, he comes alongside us, aside us and helps us finish the race. He comes alongside us. He's like, I don't know if you notice in the marathon, when guys are running, though, there's a certain parts of the marathon where they start going over to the side, and all of a sudden, the water comes out. And they grab the water. They drink the water. And they keep going. And a couple miles down, they go to the other side, you know, and, they, and then another hand comes out with water. You ever notice that? I was waiting for like a cheeseburger to come out or something. <laughs> That's the race I'm running. 
a burrito, or whatever. But they give what is needed. Jesus is the same way. He's like in that pace car behind the bicyclers who are doing the Tour de France. They got everything they need in that car. Everything. Bike breaks down, boom, the guys are on a tire, done, boom, get the guy back on, go. The guy falls over, scratches him, they got first aid there, boom, fix him up. Water, Gatorade, whatever. Steroids, they got it all. Oh, and maybe not the last one. Sorry. Did I go over the top on that one? Okay. But they got everything the rider needs because they want the rider to finish the race, not only finish, but win. Jesus has the same goal for you. Even if you go off the rails, even if you crash, even if he is there to get you back on the bike, to get you back into the race, because he wants you to finish and finish well. But we're going to have to go through some stuff. But remember, he's in that pace car with everything you need to keep you going. Just keep running. Keep focus on the finisher of your faith. Remember that others have done it ahead of you. Take off the distractions and the sin that easily encumbers you and keep on running. I want to show you something on the screen. It might help you in your run with God. You got it there? Yeah.
Question for us this morning is, are you free? Now, you might be someone here today that is not free, who has not believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I want to give you the opportunity to believe today, to be free in Him. And for us, maybe part of that freedom is getting rid of some encumbrances that we need to get rid of, to let them go finally, so that we can move on in freedom and run the race, dance the dance, do the stuff the song was talking about, but not only that, with the word this morning, to lay aside every encumbrance. So I'm going to just ask the, the praise team to come on up. And as they begin their first song of praise, if you're good with God and everything's cool, praise God in freedom. Praise him. Stand up, lift up your hands, respond to worship. But if you, uh, but if you need prayer this morning, then I'm going to ask you to just let me know by raising up your hand so I can be praying with him for you. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for today, Lord. And first, Lord, if there's anyone here that is bound up by sin, only you can free them, Lord Jesus. For if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Lord, you said that you've come to let the captives free. So, Father, if they don't believe in you, how can they have freedom? So, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would believe in you, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, that they would give you your, their sin and allow your holiness and your, your salvation and your love and your compassion and your grace and your spirit to enter into them. If that's you this morning, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want you just to slip your hand up so I can agree with you. We can connect and believe together. Amen. Father, I just pray for my sister right now. And Lord, I ask that you pray this prayer along with me, that the whole church would pray this. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life. I ask that you forgive me of all my sin. And I accept your life in exchange for mine. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. Help me to walk with you by your spirit and by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. There may be some of you here today, as every head is bowed still, that are encumbranced by something. You're still chained to something you need to let go of. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so we can just do a corporate release right now. Amen. Keep your hands up. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Father, I just pray for those who lifted up their hands right now, Lord Jesus. I pray as I lift my hands, Father, that you would truly Take this cover, take this baggage, Lord. We bring it down to your feet. We put down our yokes, if you will, in front of you. Our, our encumbrances, our sins, our habits that are keeping us from walking with you. And we lay them down at your feet, Lord Jesus. And we take upon us your yoke, which is easy in life. The yoke of salvation, the yoke of love and of grace and of mercy. The yoke of compassion and the yoke of freedom that you give. So take these chains off us, Lord. Set us free. Unlock the locks that we would grab hold of your hands and walk with you in freedom this morning from this bondage. Remove it from us as far as the east is from the west, I pray. In Jesus' name. Let's praise him. Let's worship him.